asked for um, the information on the upcoming event we have next weekend, Immerse Austin. So I did bring those flyers. There you are. I was like, where's my girl? All right. And then there's also some other information on the amphitheater as a venue and other things we have coming up on this one. You'll see some other events that we have come up, including a Veterans Day celebration that I think will be really powerful. Um, our lead pastor is very passionate about honoring those who have served our country. And so our Veterans Day celebration is a really neat experience as well. If you want to honor those who have made the ultimate sacrifice for your freedoms, um, that would be a great day and a great event for you to come to and do that. Well, it has just been a delight to be with y'all. I hope that you are going to leave here encouraged. I hope you are going to leave here inspired. And I hope that you are going home with some tools in your spiritual toolbox, because that's really what we need, isn't it? It's one thing to kind of just discuss some philosophies, but it's another thing to really understand how to go forward in what we're going to be doing. I am going to be connecting with Debbie. We are going to be putting these sessions up on my blog, so I'll get that emailed out to you. Also, um, I can also send you the link. I have a free online Bible study called The Footnotes. It's about six different characters in the Bible that are sort of just a one-liner or they're anonymous, but how their encounters with Jesus radically changed them. And so it's a free six-part video series, and there's also a free PDF workbook that you can download. So I'd love for you all to take advantage of that. And we're going to be posting another free online Bible study as we get closer to the holidays. So y'all stay in touch with me, and we'll make sure that we, we get to keep dialoguing about growing closer to the Lord and ideas for walking in better step with Him as we continue on our journeys with the Lord. So I want to make sure you have an opportunity to do that. So this weekend has been all about unpacking that verse in Judges 7.17, in which Gideon says, follow my lead. And we talked about Gideon and his rather trepidatious path to leadership, how he had to kind of learn that he really did have a call of leadership on his life. We talked about Abigail and some of the things that she did to exhibit the kind of influence that was really powerful, even though technically she was a woman without position or title or C-suite office. She had this amazing ability to use her influence to really navigate between some treacherous waters and to walk fully into the destiny that the Lord had for her. We talked last night about who am I leading? Because it is so important for us to understand who it is that we are being called to. God gave specific calls to certain leaders, didn't he? And sometimes it didn't match what they thought. It would have made sense for Paul to have been called to the Jews. Because Paul had basically been to Jew University. Like he really knew everything he was supposed to know who, to have been an influential leader to the Jews. And yet God flip-flops it. And he has the guy who's, you know, kind of the blue-collar fisherman, Peter. He has Peter go to the Jews. He has Paul go to the Gentiles. And so how important it was for those in those early days of the church who were called to use their influence to lead others to Jesus, to understand who they had been called to, and to communicate well with them, and to understand the nuances of their culture in order to bring the message of Jesus to them. And so last night, we unpacked who we are being called to lead. As women, when we look at Titus 2, we know that we have a mandate on our lives to be speaking into the lives of the women coming up after us. And we have a generation who needs people to show them and to be passionate about Christ and to show how to lead a meaningful life. And so that's what we talked about last night. Well, today as we wrap up, we're going to be talking about this. You know, I told you that all leaders lead and all leaders follow. All leaders 
follow. And today we're going to be talking about who am I following? Now, as Christian, when we go, I follow Jesus. I'm sure you think you do. So this should be not a problem for us to do a little self-check and make sure that we really understand who we are following. My son, Justice, he's the one that I told you is almost 19 and he's single and he's really cute. My girls are single too, by the way. So if you have, you know, help a mama out. I want some grandkids. So y'all know some awesome godly guys. Let me know, please. But my son, Justice, he is, he's so much fun. He's really a hilarious person. You know, how many of you have, you have read uh, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman? Yeah, he missed my top two, which are food and laughter. And so funny people, I really appreciate. It's one of the reasons I like Allison. She can come knock on my door because as long as she's willing to be funny and eat my food, then I'm happy with it. But Justice is truly a funny guy, and it's been so fun to watch him going from a little boy. He was a very nervous little boy all the way up into a young man who is just so much fun, and he keeps us laughing all the time. And when he was born, I mean the moment he was born, he had this incredible calic that came up. It looked like a little quails. Yeah, we called it the quail. You know what I mean? It was like this triple calic that swirled right here in the center, and it stood up like this, and it was like a barometer for how he was feeling. If he was tired, it would kind of do this. If he was lying, it would kind of... It was amazing. It was a really handy accoutrement to have as a parent for us to be able to have an idea. I think you're lying. He thought we were so perceptive. We were like, man, that was just this. But he went through a series of time that he was terrified of the dark. I mean, I'm talking this kid, you felt sorry for him, but at the same time, when you hit the same thing, night after night, I mean, we would leave the lights on and we would let him leave the closet light on. We'd leave the hall light on. The only thing we wanted him to do, the only rule was, look, just stay in bed, okay? You can have lights on, you can have a flashlight, you can have all this stuff, but just stay in bed, stay in bed, stay in bed. But he was so terrified of the dark, even knowing that he was going to get in trouble and even though he knew what the rule was. Every night, night after night, here he would come, I'm scared of the dark. We're aware of that. What we're really interested in is if there's a status change. We're very aware you are scared of the dark, scared of the dark, scared of the dark. Mike tucked him in one night, once again, closet light on, hall light on, night light on, flashlight with fresh batteries, justice, stay in bed. Stay in bed, stay in bed, stay in bed. And once again, here comes Justice down the hall. <laughs> Mike scooped him up and said, Justice, you've got to obey me. You've got to stay in bed. And Justice said, Daddy, I don't understand why I have to stay in bed because I'm so scared and I'm just so worried. And I just, I'm just so scared, just so scared. And Mike said, Justice, honey, listen. He who does not discipline his children does not love them. He who does not have his kids walk in a higher path, he doesn't love them, he hates them. He who will not help his children to walk in obedience despises them. And Justice popped up over the side of the, of the bunk bed and went, Daddy, who is he who and why does he hate his children so much? lot of he-whos that kind of creep into the way we look at life. We're not even completely aware of their existence. We just have some things we do and things we say and ways of looking at things that have an awful lot to do with sort of this vague 
he who out there. And if we're really not cautious about determining where we came up with some of the ideas that we have and some of the steps on the path that we're taking, then we can unintentionally and yet, wow, in a way that is not good for us as children of God, we can get down a path that was never intended for us because we're following something that is not of him. Back at the time of the French Revolution, there was a young man in his 30s, and he rose to power under such incredible philosophies initially. His name was Maximilien Robespierre. I feel like his mama must have thought he was going to need a big name. His name was Maximilien Robespierre. And at the time that this disenfranchisement began with what the current system was in France with the monarchy and the abuses that were seen there, Robespierre was the guy who came in and said, now wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, people should have a voice. People should have a vote. He helped promote for the abolition of slavery in France. He absolutely stood in the gap and said, we will not allow the dechristianization of France. Those sound like noble, amazing things, don't they? Let's abolish slavery. Let's let people have a voice. Let's be democratic. Let's be, let's be a republic. Let's preserve religious rights. Let's do all these things. Robespierre. He comes into power under all of those auspices, which sound like great things. But he becomes associated with a very violent way of helping promote those ideals. Dr. Guillotine. And within a few months, in his effort to try to preserve Christianity in France and take the power away from the Catholic Church and put it back into the hands of the people to walk with the Lord, he develops what is called the cult of the supreme being. And he throws for himself and the people of France this massive pageant in which he sort of features himself as Moses coming down from the mountain with all of these new ideas and new rules, and new thoughts. Robespierre. It becomes so evident that he's becoming such a megalomaniac that he ends up dying also himself by the guillotine because the people realize he's just gotten out of control. So here's this man who starts with some really powerful ideals and principles. He throws a lot of Jesus and God in the mix. People follow him. People take out their neighbors for him. People tattle on their communities under his leadership. People follow him, and they think it's faith. But at the end of the day, they're sucked into, literally and figuratively, a cult of a supreme being. We have to be so cautious about who we're truly following. We have a responsibility to ourselves, we have a responsibility to the Lord, and we have a responsibility to the people who are following us and imitating us. Because if we're not real clear that we are solidly following the person of Jesus Christ, we can end up in a cult to a supreme being that actually is predicated on a person. And it's predicated on their ideals and predicated on their theology instead of what Jesus has to say to us. Those of us who are really passionate about walking in faith, some of us are the ones most at risk. Do you realize that? 
Look at how much of the teaching of Jesus is to those people who are going to church every, well, you know, Saturday for them. They're going to church all the time. They're at the synagogue. They're making their tithes. They're making their offerings. They're doing all the right things. But they've gotten so immersed in doing the right things that they have lost relationship. Jesus is so tough on the Pharisees. And yet these were the people who were passionate about following the Lord, but they got off in the ditch. You know, God's rules for the Israelites, there are some really powerful rules there, and they are, they're somewhat extensive. But what did man do? What did we do? We added and added and added. I can't remember the exact number, but there's something like 260-something extra rules that came alongside to explain the rules that God had made. And that's how you were evaluated if you were holy or not, if you were walking with the Lord or not. And people followed it. And people got tangled in a system that was not what the Lord had designed. And part of the, a big percentage of Jesus' ministry was coming into those folks and saying, we gotta cut this out. We gotta clean house. We've gotta start over because you've put so much more faith into your synagogue leaders and into your rules than in your relationship with God, that you are leading people astray. You are leading people off of the path. I think we have, there are many, but we're gonna talk about three different areas today where we can get entangled and we can begin to follow something that is not the Lord. And the first one that I wanna talk about, you know, we have our theology, but I think we also have a theology. How many of you are aware of the they's out there? Mm -hmm that control a lot of how we think we're supposed to react and behave, the they's. Do you know you have those they's in your world? How many of you have said, well, you know, they say. <laughs> they say that you shouldn't swim, you know, for up to an hour after you eat. They say you shouldn't drink dairy products if you've, if you've had a stomach bug. They say, they say, they say, who, who are they? <laughs> Who are they? And how many of us in our faith walks have some kind of echo of a they back there that we follow over and over? Now, there may be more, but I identify about three categories of they's that speak into our lives. The first one is a they that's fairly close. It's our family, our extended family. It's our friends. It's our coworkers. It's church leaders that we truly are associated with on a person-to-person -person level. This they that's a little bit closer to us. And this they, the opinions of this first category of they, are very, very powerful when we have relationship. They're very powerful in a lot of times how we identify faith. How many of you have had a spiritual mentor, somebody who brought you to the Lord? That is a very powerful they. It's a noble they. It's a they you need to be careful about because the way that they conduct their faith, the way that they do their devotionals in the morning, the way that they conduct their marriage, you can get into a zone where you think that's the only way, their they way. And you stop listening for the Lord to talk to you. Are we supposed to have strong relationship with strong believers because iron sharpens iron? Absolutely, absolutely. But if we're not cautious, we can allow something that started out as a good and healthy and nourishing relationship to turn into a Robespierre relationship. 
I do think that we need to be subject to those who are in spiritual authority over us. The Bible tells us we are to do that. But if any of you ever experienced a church leader who's going rogue and people still follow that person, it doesn't seem to matter anymore what the word says about righteous living or what the word says about how we're to treat people. I'm, my mind is blown, blown by the people who will follow a church leader who is rude, rude to the guy cutting the grass, rude to their congregants, bossy and hostile. And people follow this. Well, you know, we're supposed to, we're supposed to follow our church leaders. No, we're supposed to emulate those who are emulating Christ is what we're supposed to be doing. Follow somebody who's just a jerk just because they're a good speaker? Lord, help us. No. No. Jesus has to deal with some they in his disciples' lives. Jesus has to deal with those who have a really difficult time letting go of the opinions of family. I was raised um, in a particular denomination, and there came a point in time where it seemed that my husband and I, through prayer, really felt like the Lord was calling us into a different spiritual experience, not walking away from Jesus, you understand, just that we weren't necessarily supposed to be following along with the traditions of the denomination that I'd been raised in. I had other friends that we were actively dialoguing about this at the time. And I have friends who have stayed, even though the Lord told them it was time to go, because they were more worried about what mama and them would say than what the Lord would say. If you're staying in a particular faith situation, if you have been unwilling to explore something that you feel the Lord pulling you toward because you're more concerned about mama and them, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Not that family they, not that closer community they, not that group. Follow him. Now, the next they that I think a lot about when I talk about a theola they is a group that's a little bit, a little bit more distant. Maybe we don't have as immediate access to them. But it's that community of Bible study teachers that maybe we follow. You know, we go to this Bible study by this particular person or that Bible study by that particular person. It's sort of a broader community. What will people in my community think? What will the other moms at the school think? What will, you know, the broader, you know, context of the company I'm working for, what will they think? It's not necessarily those people we have direct contact with. And this is one of those places that I think the enemy can get us so spooled up because we actually think those people are thinking about us, yeah. <laughs> which is hilarious. We're not even on their radar. And yet we allow so much of our faith experience to be conducted through what we think they would say. Look, if there's something that I say, please go take it to the Word. Please don't do, we well, I was at this conference and Julie Lyle's car said, and therefore, <laughs> go to the Word. Go to the Word. Check, check out what I'm saying. Well, Beth Moore says, go check it out. Validate it. Make sure Jesus is in it. Because if you're worried about what those people are going to think, if you don't do it their way, I'm here to tell you they're not thinking about you. I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but they really don't care. There's an amazing verse in Judges 9.54. 
which is close to where we've been talking about Gideon. This is just a couple chapters away from Gideon going into battle and, and being prepared to become a leader and all that he went through. And he's coming up against a guy named Abimelech. And he's actually one of Gideon's sons. And Abimelech has a kind of a sad history, ultimately, what happens to him. And he walks away from the Lord. He had governed for a while, and he begins to have a really hard time. And there's a lot of challenge between what's going on. And he is kind of in and out. He governs well. He has some problems back and forth, back and forth. But he chooses to go into battle. And this is where I think we begin to see what's starting to happen in Abimelech's heart. It's a little bit of an issue. He goes in to try to take this place, and it looks like he's going to be successful, and then a woman drops a big rock on his head, and it cracks his skull. So listen to what Abimelech says in Judges 9, verse 54. Hurriedly, he called to his armor bearer, draw your sword and kill me so that they can't say a woman killed him. So his servant ran him through and he died. Except that, of course, God put it in the book, so we know that's what happened. <laughs> I mean, if you're at the point of spiritual trauma, if you're at the point of spiritual death and you're still more worried about what they might say, who is this they that Abimelech, why is Abimelech knowing that he's dying, not saying, God, forgive me? I've tried to walk. I've made some mistakes. I have some concerns. You know my heart. God, forgive me. I release myself unto you. Why is that not his final statement? Instead of, so I don't want them to say that a woman killed me. But boy, this idea of what they say is so pervasive. Look at Moses in Exodus 4.1. Okay, context. God just showed up in a burning bush. <laughs> Moses has been chatting with God on the bat phone. This is the experience Moses has just had. Guess what his big concern is beginning in chapter 4. God, um, what if they... Has he been hanging out with the Israelites in Egypt all this time? No, he's been gone. He's been in the wilderness. Because remember, he took out an Egyptian slave master when he saw that Egyptian slave master kill an Israelite. He's been gone for years. There's this they is sort of anonymous to him. Now, this is the people he's being called to, to go bring into the Exodus. But they're vague. He doesn't have faces and names yet. He has an assignment. But look what he says. What if they do not believe me or listen to me? And what if they say... The Lord did not appear to you. How did we get to that place? He's just been talking to God in a burning bush, and he's more worried about what they might say. Who is he following at that moment? And God, in his graciousness, continues to reassure him. God gives him a little blankie in the form of his older brother, Aaron. Okay, fine. Take Aaron with you, you big fraidy cat. Go, go. I'm telling you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. But he's so concerned about that they. Look what Gideon does. Our guy we've been talking about all this time in Judges 6 and 27. Again, he's just been chatting with God. God's just put a major mandate on his life. 
they go through that whole process I talked to you through on Friday night of here's the assertion, here's the question, here's God saying, I'm going to turn to you, I'm going to prepare you. Here's Gideon saying, well, I just I have some more concerns. You understand my background. I mean, they've been through all of that. And God has said, all right, it's time. And look what Gideon does in chapter 27. God tells him, I want you to go build an altar. I want you to take the second bull of your father's herd. I want you to sacrifice it. I want you to pull down your father's altar to Baal and pull down the Asherah pole and build a proper one. And in verse 27, so Gideon took 10 of his servants and he did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night <laughs> rather than in the daytime. <laughs> How do you know if you might be getting caught in a tangle of they when you feel like you have to be subversive in obeying God? When you feel like you have to sneak around? Those of you who are like, well, Mama wouldn't like it if she knew I was going to this kind of community church. So we just go on, you know, this, we, go to the, we go with her to her service at 8.30 and then we go to our church at 10. Cut it out. Stop it. Go own your walk with the Lord, not to hurt anybody, but to make sure that as you're leading, you're not spreading that kind of toxicity on those who are imitating and following you. Don't saddle them with that kind of stuff. Don't saddle them. You know, another thing that I hear in this they issue, well, I don't want anyone to think that blah, blah, blah. Okay, sisters, can you really control what somebody else is going to think? Really? God doesn't try to control what we think. He asks us to discipline our minds. He asks us to renew our minds. But he's not telling us, you know, we're not, you cannot achieve something that God is, is not even really willing to do on his creation. You can't control what people are going to think. You just can't. And so to be motivated out of a place of this they think, I don't want them to think, to try to run your life out of that place, which is something you can't even achieve anyway, I'm going to let you in on a hint. I have a degree in psychology. We call that crazy. <laughs> it's a very technical term. Why are we trying to run our lives out of something that we don't even have the means to do? We cannot control what people are going to think of us. We cannot control what they're going to think of our actions. We can bear fruit. Hopefully they will recognize the fruit in our lives. But usually what I found is if you're doing something right, there's usually somebody who has a really opposite opinion of what you're up to. It's amazing how that happens. We were not called to make everybody happy. We were not called to make everybody feel pleased. We were not called to try to control the thoughts of others. I tell you one of the more insidious they's, the third they that I think controls us a lot is what I call the mythical they. And it's that one that says, they say you shouldn't. There's now a whole other class of they's. It's gotten really interesting. It's uh, Pinterest. Who's aware of this? <laughs> Well, you know, on the Pinterest, they showed this living room that they spent $1.98 and they just glued <laughs> empty, to, you know, toilet paper tubes together and they made a couch and, and it just looked like something from Caesar's Palace. 
There's a reason there's a category called Pinterest fails. I am amazed at the number of, I mean, and I think there can be some really amazing resources online, don't get me wrong. I blog, I love to blog, I have bloggers I follow who are wonderful, but this whole idea of that they, and we're gleaning all this wisdom from that they, I can remember, and I still don't know how this got in my head, but I remember back in the day, who, who read Glamour magazine back in the day, like in the 80s, before it was, that one. Um, back when it evaluated, which seems so innocent now, like best bell mascara. Yeah, bell bottoms or straight legs instead of, well, anyway, just, I'll just, there's so much I could say. I'll just let that rest. But back in the day in Glamour, they said that if your hairstyle required more than two appliances, then it was the wrong hairstyle. And for years, I would blow dry my hair, run a curling iron, and think, you know, maybe if I just put a hot roller, oh, oh but they say oh. only two appliances. <laughs> Yo, where did that come from? What was that about? And yet we have that same they that speaks into our faith walks all the time. We have that same they that there are things that we do or things that we think are sacred or things that we think have to be to a certain way because there's this vague they that somehow we got that message and we hung on to it. Y'all, we do need people speaking into our lives. We do need to seek wisdom. We do need counselors. We do need those who are further in the faith than we are. We need that. But at the end of the day, what they say needs to match what Jesus says. And Jesus kept things really simple. We're the ones who complicate things. Jesus kept things very, very simple for us. You know, there was a guy in the Bible that Jesus encountered in Luke, verse 9, chapter 9, and verse 59. I want us to look at his story a little bit. Luke 9 and verse 59. Luke 9, verse 59. And this particular guy, it's a passage that's always thrown me a little bit. But I think that it so is in keeping with this cautionary tale of who are we following. Verse 57, a guy sees Jesus and his group walking along the road. And a man says to him, I will follow you wherever, wherever you go. How many of us, when we first come to the Lord, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, all right, um, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You going to follow me there? Follow me into a situation that is different than what they call success? Follow me into a situation that is different than what they said their dreams were for you? follow you into an expression of faith that is different than what they raised you in, even though it's all predicated on Jesus Christ? So then Jesus says to another man in verse 59, he said to another man, follow me. And this man replied, well, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. 
And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of the kingdom of God. Is Jesus just being mean? No. He's trying to give them a veiectomy. <laughs> He's trying to disentangle them from this over-focus on what the family thinks, on what the family might say, on what the world would say is success. He's trying to disconnect them from that they through a theyectomy. And what's odd is we really don't know how many of them decided that they would go ahead and follow him. We don't know. And yet, his mandate remains the same. Follow me. Follow me. So after the they is another thing that we tend to follow and sometimes confuse with Jesus. You ready? This won't hurt much. Is our emotions. It's our emotions. So many times when we take a look at what we're really following, it's our emotions. Sometimes we dress it up. I love when we do that. Well, I've had a leading. <laughs> Have you really? Those are big words to use on something that may just be you. If you're going to call something a leading from the Lord, then boy, you better follow through. You better understand what the cost is. The more often than not, what I see is emotion. My husband had a business partner many years ago. Sweet, sweet man. Loved the Lord. Loved the Lord. And Mike was part of a group that it was himself and it was two other believers. Well, this particular man that was one of his partners was such a kind and sweet man. And he had what he really thought was a leading from the Lord to begin doing a particular type of financial investment for a group of believers. So my husband and these two partners were involved with a very large financial firm, and they had put a lot in developing that particular partnership within this financial firm. For this partner to be able to go and do what he thought he was supposed to do, it meant he was going to have to leave this partnership of the three of them in this major financial firm because it was a form of investment that they didn't, was not validated. It wasn't that it was a wrong form of investment. It was just one that was more faith-based and was not validated by the big marketing or the big uh, financial firm that they were involved with. Mike and his other partner believed that this guy had had a really neat insight from the Lord, possibly something very cool that could be done. But this man had made commitments to this partnership, financial commitments, time commitments, things that they had all agreed upon. And so Mike and his other partner said to this guy, look, it could be that this is something that really could work. But can we encourage you to wait on the Lord and wait for his go? You seem really excited about this, which is wonderful. But that excitement could be an emotion. So can we just do a few things to validate that this is really what you're supposed to do? Because this is a huge sea change for all of us. It's not just you who's going to be impacted. It's a big change for all of us. This guy was so energetic and so enthusiastic and so excited to the point of tears because he just felt like, the Lord showed me what I need to be doing. He just went for it. He abandoned the agreements that had been made. He abandoned where he had been and he launched headlong into this thing. Unfortunately, it was a disaster. 
Mike has stayed in contact with him through the years because, again, this is a sweet, good, godly man. He is not a bad guy at all. And he really was doing what he was doing, he thought, out of faith. But he told Mike about 10 years later, after all the ramifications of what that particular jump had meant, he told Mike years later, you know, I still believe that I had heard from God, but I decided to jump the gun on God in my emotion. And the price that my family paid, and the price that my partners paid, and the price that I paid as a business person, I don't think was what God intended. The idea that God gave him was solid and was amazing. But there was some preparation that was going to need to go into place. And there were some agreements that were going to need to be fulfilled in the way that he had originally laid out. But this guy let emotion become the thing he was following. And it was a positive emotion. We also have negative emotions which drive us. We have times that we tear into somebody in the face, bless it, when really, we're just in a bad, ticky mood. It wasn't that Jesus told us to say that that way. We were following an emotion. Relationships that we abandon, paths that we go down, decisions that we make that we sort of blame on God. But really, in the backstory, we were following emotion. You know, what's interesting is in a lot of the pagan rites back in the day, they would traffic on heightening people's emotions. Now, I'm not saying that God will not give you things that feel like emotion. Joy, strength, conviction, peace. But when it comes to this place of being so spun up that you're beginning to neglect other things that you said you would do, when you're beginning to be neglectful of relationships, when you are jumping out of agreements and you're not honoring things that you said you were supposed to do out of emotion. One of the things that we experience a lot in church leadership that's really interesting, we will have people commit to coming and helping with an event or volunteering for this or they say they'll do that. Great. And then we'll get, you know, 17 minutes before said event or whatever it was supposed to be and somebody will call them, I'm, I'm just not going to be able to make it. And really at the end of it, what they're saying is, I don't feel like it. Who are you following? Then don't commit. Let your yay be yay and your nay be nay. If you don't want to do it, then don't commit to doing it. But don't be led by the emotion. Be led by Jesus who teaches us consistency, who teaches us integrity, who teaches us to follow through with what we said we were going to do. Because emotion can lead us astray over and over. Hebrews 13, 9. Let's take a quick look there. Hebrews 13, 9 says to us, we think it's probably Paul who wrote this, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. We can get carried away by powerful, charismatic leaders who know how to tap into our emotions. Now, I'm not telling you to never have an emotional response to God. We know that people do. That's fine. That's fine. You know, we talk a lot about in praise and worship. Have you ever found yourself where you realize you're worshiping the song 
and not the God who's being exalted in the song? Oh, I love this song. I love this song. You love the song or you love the God it's supposed to be pointing you to? Let us not be led by emotion. And then I think a third area we have to be cautious as God's women when it comes to being clear about who we're following. Who are we following? Is sometimes we can get on a bad path because of our need to be needed. Our need to be needed. I had a friendship for many years with a gal that I was so passionate about trying to help her walk more fully with the Lord. She had come to the Lord and she had quite a history. I, she and I are, are, it's kind of one of those things where I'm like, you know, she's, she's my woman by the well. She has been married, she's my age, she's been married six times. And three of those marriages occurred after she came to the Lord. Three of those divorces and marriages occurred after she came to the Lord. And there are a lot of children involved from all of this marital activity. There are a lot of challenges, health challenges, all kinds of stuff that went on with her. And I, for years, felt that the Lord had assigned her to me. And it was my job to get her on the right path. And so every phone call, every crisis, every moment, anything, I was the one running to take care of it. And I get her picked up and I dust her off and I do this. All right, let's try to do better next time, okay? I know you tripped and fell over that hot guy at the bar where you should not have been, but it's okay. Let's go. All right, here we go. We replicated this over and over and over and over for 15 years. Would abandon my family during dinner to go deal with her. Would leave off something else I committed to to go deal with her latest crisis. Thought about her all the time, worried about her all the time, tried to fix her all the time. There finally came a point where she was considering leaving the fifth husband. And I was so enmeshed in it. I was so tangled up in it. And I was praying and I was just, you know, Lord, I just, I don't know what to do. I mean, I just, I've done all this. I've invested all this time in her and da, 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 da. And here she goes again and da, 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 da. And the Lord dropped this question in my heart. Is her life any better today than it was when you started out 15 years ago with her? Well, you know, Lord, now that you mention it. <laughs> uh, no? And you could say maybe it's worse. And the Lord dropped in my heart, then you're just audience. Get out of the audience. You see, I was following over and over my need to be needed instead of letting God get in and let her hit bottom. I kept trying to protect her from that. And God needed me to get out of the way but what I was following was my need to be needed, not following the direction of what he wanted to do in our life. Our job is not to fix people. We can't fix people, but we can point them to the one who binds up the brokenhearted. We can point them to the one who really does have the solutions. Sometimes in our need to be needed, we think it's on us to actually drag people kicking and screaming to the altar. 
God taught me a really cool lesson on this a few years ago. We made a transition from where we were living in Oklahoma down to the coast, and we were trying to find a place to go to church and plug in, and we had a hard time really finding, that had never been an issue for us, and all of a sudden we were having a hard time finding a place to plug in and kind of find our tribe. And we went for a period of time to a church, very sweet people, but it was very stripped down, it was very organic, and we had come from a place that had all the bells and whistles for children's church, you know what I mean? I mean, it was awesome, and kids were being saved there, and it was incredible, and there were bubble machines, and I mean, it was like, I wanted to go to children's church all the time. There's candy, Jesus and chocolate, come on, who doesn't want that, right? So we make this transition, and we start going to this church, it's a little more, you know, just simplified. And I walked for one of the first times into the little children's church areas, and I was like, you, what, where's the bubble machines? Uh, <laughs> And their style of teaching children was not about, you know, flannel, who remembers flannel graphs back in the day? I mean, we weren't even talking that kind of technology for this particular group. You know, there were no videos, there was no fun music, there was, there was none of that. And I thought, oh, I don't think my kids can grow here. What they did was they taught from the Bible. <laughs> so weird. Like if they were going to teach the story of Daniel, they'd open up the book of Daniel and they'd read it. And then they and the kids would chat about it. Oh, this is insane. This is never going to work. You guys need to go to the Orange <laughs> Conference. What's wrong with you? Let me tell you, my kids grew in that season because the Word of God is alive and living. And I had come to a place that I had doubted its ability to just speak and work on its own. And yet it can't. Now, do I love bubble machines? Yes. <laughs> do I believe in doing what we can do? to exemplify the excitement that it is to walk with Jesus? Absolutely. But do I ever need to doubt that if somewhere along the line some government came in and said, we are now creating a tax on bubble machines in children's church, do I need to fear that we will never reach another generation? No. Because God is powerful. And we can rely on what he has to say to us. John 21 Verse 22. Turn there with me real quickly. John 21 and 22. Peter is coming to the end of his time with Jesus. And Jesus is telling Peter, now look, you're going to have some stuff coming up that's not going to be terribly fun. <laughs> you're going to have some challenges. This is the same Peter who got distracted by and followed a they when he was questioned about if he was a follower of Jesus. He got worried that they were going to condemn him, and so he, uh, he fibbed about if he knew Jesus or not, if had been with him because of his concern about the they. And Jesus tells him, look, I'm going to give you a little prophecy about the kind of death that you're going to have. And Jesus indicated the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God in verse 19. And then he says to Peter, follow me. And Peter turned and sees John. And he says, Lord, you know, um, what about him? Because like you're telling me this is going to be my walk, but what about him? And Jesus answered and said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. You have your own journey with Jesus. 
it doesn't exactly matter how it went down for your mentor or your pastor, or for that Bible teacher, or for mom and them. What does matter is that you follow him in the way that he has called you. Read the New Testament for yourself. Focus on the Gospels. We talk a lot about what Paul has to say. Let's, let's rewind and just go think about and read about and study what Jesus says to us. Am, am I trying to push away Paul and Peter? And, no, no, no. But I'm saying let's get back to the basics of what Jesus says to us. How does Jesus expect us to live? What does following Jesus mean to Jesus? And how does he define it? Check out your Bible teachers. Make sure they're teaching appropriately. Do not engage in dissing somebody on the interwebs if you don't agree with them. Stop that mess. But focus on how you are supposed to walk. Focus on what you're learning. Pray. Pray. God, show me. Let the they's quit echoing in my head so loudly. Calm my emotions so I can hear from you. Release me of my need to be needed, to stay engaged in things that may not be of you. And yes, seek counsel, seek, seek accountability. I'm not asking you to fly rogue and outside a community on this. But in all of it, take that and then go work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Take it before the Lord and recommit to following him so that others may follow you and we may all be imitators of Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, we have so many voices coming at us. We have so many tasks on the plate. We have emotions that swirl through us. You, you created us in that way. The Father in all of it, the voices of wise counsel, the voices of judgment, the emotions that are activated by our excitement of walking in salvation with you and the emotions that the enemy takes advantage of. And our desire to help others and then in that place where we slide into a desperate need to be needed. Father, would you help us divide cleanly through all that? Would you help us understand where you want us to walk? Because, Father, if we're not following you, then how can we effectively lead? Father, help us to never be guilty of using our influence and leadership to have others follow us and our agenda and our opinions and what we think. Father, forgive us when we do that. And instead, Lord, instead, let them follow you. And may we follow you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you.